we can come in as an advisor, we can do a lot more transactions rather than just the salesperson. The salesperson services what someone wants, whereas we teach them what they want and then go find it for them. And it really does allow us to get a lot more transactions done. Like we've done more transactions in our development side of Infill Seattle in the past four to five months than we did 18 months ago because the, the competition, yes, the buyer demand's lower, but the competition is so much lower that we can get them really good opportunities. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Amuchastegui. Today's episode, I get to interview James Daynard. James is a real estate agent, Pacific Northwest. The Before we got going, I, I told him that I was actually born up in Oregon, so somewhat similar to where he's at and some of the markets that he is focused on up in the Seattle area are a, a lot like what you know how Austin, Texas is performing. So I bet we're going to have a lot to talk about. James, how's it going? It's going good, man. I'm up in the Pacific Northwest right now. It's, it's not raining, so that's a win. It's not re- something happened in the last couple of weeks where it made a sh- it like California and Washington like made this tr- this trade because California's getting more rain than they've ever had. I used to live in Northern California and I've seen all my buddies post that's like all the rivers are flooding and trees are coming down. They're getting more they've got more rain in the last week than they usually get in a year or two. It's crazy. Yeah, I split my time between Newport Beach and Seattle and yeah, we we, we actually got more rain in Newport than I was like what is going on? I need to go back on my migration again. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, figure out your migration time. The, how long have you been hanging out in Newport also? Uh, just, uh, about three years ago. So I moved down and I, I actually fly up to Seattle every week, Monday through Thursday. So I basically just hit weekends in, in California. Oh my gosh. That's like the best of both worlds. Yeah. I, uh, I went, I ended up graduating in Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. So the, so I stayed oh, cool. down in the Santa Barbara area for a long time and it's really tough to beat the ocean front living or ocean style living anywhere anytime you can get a beach nearby and very different than Oregon or Washington weather for sure yeah I do better with palm trees I've learned palm trees over evergreens work better for me so it's, <laughs> it is the best of both worlds I come up here I work Monday through Thursday and I get back and get a hang out on the beach that's freaking cool man the uh, lifestyle by design the so you must have a great story about how you got into lifestyle by design when did you first become a uh, real estate agent um, so I, well, originally I started off as a wholesaler for an investment company when I was a senior in college. Um, mm-hmm. I would go out there, find them off market deals. And then as I graduated, I wanted to become more of a real estate professional. And so I became licensed in 2007. Um, or it was actually kind of right before the market kind of crashed out. And then, uh, we've been, a it, we started our own brokerage in 2009 where we started, uh, you know, we started a brokerage focused on investor acquisitions and kind of uh, discounted real estate. Yeah. Was that in Washington at the time? Yeah, that was in Washington. I've always been, I, this, this is the only place that I, I work in. I I like to stick to my backyard, stick to what I know. So we, we operate in Kings, Tahomish, and Pierce County of, of Washington State. So like those are the main tri-counties. Yeah. the I'm, I'm excited to get to talk to you about 
you, you're building your business during a time when a lot of agents were going out of business because it's, it's one of the topics that's happening right now. There's people that became agents the last couple of years. Volume is now coming way down at our mastermind in a couple of months. I've got a few people coming out to speak that had kind of similar stories like getting into real estate in 06, 07. That's when I got into it. I got into it in 06 in Southern California and then housing market crashed and it was like, whoa, having to do like this, these major shifts. And right now people are nervous. They're trying to figure out what to do. They're trying to figure out the plan. So 2007, you're like fresh getting your license. All of a sudden, you know, for foreclosures, there's stuff slowing down. When you went to investor acquisitions, was it on the buy side for like foreclosures? Was it short sales? How did you, and how did you like make your mark being a new agent at such a trying time? Yeah, and it, 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 2000, when the market crashed in, in, in 2008, it, it was definitely like the lights turned off and there wasn't a lot of transactions going on. And, and mm -hmm. so, it was one of those things where it was like sink or swim because we had, I just become licensed. We started our own business. We had just invested all of our money into starting our new company with a new office and all this furniture. And then all of a sudden subprime mortgages blew up and it was like ghost town. It was, it went from being this, you know, all I knew was very, it was a very competitive market in 2006 and seven, uh, very similar to 2020 and 21, not quite as crazy, but very, very similar. And so it went from being this active, active market to the lights turned off. And as a broker, I just remember sitting there. Well, A, the first thing I was doing was looking for new jobs. I was like, what, what do yeah. I go do? Like, you know, do I get into pharmaceutical sales or some other kind of sales job? And then, you know, I, what we kind of realized was, A, we just had invested all our money into our business. So we had to make this work. And then B, there was like this max exodus of real estate professionals at that time too, where, you know, I think they I know locally in the Pacific Northwest, they said like around 50% of brokers release a license. And, yeah. and what we did is we saw this opportunity of there was so much discounted real estate out there. It could be at the foreclosure auctions. It could be a lot of short sales, a lot of foreclosures. Uh, short sales were definitely a big deal that what we actually had to, we saw that that was the most amount of volume that was coming through. And so we did, we had to pivot our business and went from just investor acquisition to services and then figuring out what, how to move inventory out. So we did, we had usually about 100, 150 short sales going at a time for listing uh, at that point. And then we, we focused a lot on working with buyers and investors and really going out and pounding the payment and finding these people and finding what they wanted because there was such a limited buyer pool out there. And then one of the biggest things that we did to have to kind of pivot our business is because the market was so risky, we had to build our business that would help mitigate risk and help people get comfortable because if there was no transactions going on, we had to figure out how to get them off the bench at that point. And because we had a good investor background and we had been buying and renovating properties, we designed our brokerage around concierge service for investors, like finding the property with resources and contractors. And by mitigating risk, it allowed us to really grow our business in a market that was not growing at all. It was shrinking rapidly. Yeah. So the, so how many transactions are you doing now? How, how big is your company? How, how big is your team? What sort of transaction volume are you guys doing? So on our internal team, we have about 17 brokers on there uh, and they're all sect in, uh, they're, they're all in their own sector of what we do for investment acquisitions. Cause that's, that's what we do. We, we go out, we source 
anything that investors are looking for, whether it's a fix and flip property, it could be a development site, dirt, uh, multifamily, value add, uh, you know, different types of uh, anywhere that investors are really trying to park money or, or acquire at that point. Um, so we have about 17 brokers on there. We have five in our acquisition department that that's all they're doing is underwriting and looking at deals all day long, whether it's on market, off market, wholesale deals coming through. Um, and then we have a disposition team. Uh, and that's really how we grew our business was to help with the, the service side of the, the investor, uh, like stabilizing their assets with renovating is we have four listing brokers where they're design trained. So when these investors buy the property, they are doing all the listings. Uh, they're helping them with all the design, the, uh, the remodel, the spec, uh, and helping them kind of stabilize that, that property. So there's four brokers on there. And then we have three in our multifamily sector. And then we have two in our uh, off-market dirt where we procure dirt for, uh, for builders so they can develop the site and then build them out. But typically on average, we do about 150 to 200 deals and it's about 150 million in transactions, whether it's acquisition or disposition. Yeah. You know, servicing investors is, is, I mean, I think investors are some of the best clients out there for real estate agents, as long as you do a great job. Like if you do a great job, they are some of the best clients. Because if you don't do a great job, they're the first that want to negotiate commissions. They're the first that want to blame you for something and you know, it just it's natural right because mm-hmm. investors are so focused on the dollar type stuff but if you do a great job especially with like investor flippers you've got this turnkey service you could say hey let's go buy this house and then you're guiding them to fix it up and if they decide to rent it they keep it or if they decide to sell it if you've done a good job on the front end you're kind of getting a couple transactions there and then the other benefit is investors usually buy more than one house a year or sell more than one house a year um, and so you keep those clients happy. Your volume can automatically be five to 10 times what normal people are because you just get to, to keep them in. I'm sure a lot of listeners right now, as they're like thinking about pivoting, because essentially it's a similar story with mine. Like I was a home builder, uh, housing market crash, right? And we're like, what do we do? And we went from making a lot of money and like golfing a couple days a week. So like now we're having to do workouts with the banks and we have like our bags on and our hammer and nails and we're trying to fig- finish up these buildings, like short selling them through the, through the banks at the time where the banks finally got to a point where they're like, I know that your loan on that is like $750,000, but like just get us the best you can. And we're selling these houses for 250 or 300 and they're approving them because they didn't want to foreclose all the way because um, for the company that I worked for, because they knew that if they foreclosed, it would be like starting over. So they like, let us do these, these builder workouts and things like that. But then as soon after that was done, we were like, what are we going to do next? Like, what's the opportunity that's out there when the market's falling all the time and there's these discounts, but the biggest part of the buyer pool is maybe gone. And investments became the thing for us. We started buying on the courthouse steps. We started fixing and selling. Even as the market was going down, it was kind of like the only, the only game in town was like this, this sort of deal type thing. So, um, what I see in the market now, so in Austin, sales prices are down probably 20, 25% from where they were in March. We've had big, big mm-hmm. kind of corrections here. I'm not sure what it's like in Seattle, but I think the big opportunity for agents here and agents in the market like this is to become an investor type agent, right? So with all that being said and my, my long windedness, so if somebody's listening to this and they go, I want to do what James is doing. I want to go become an investor agent. Like you have this giant machine that started but how can they first get, how can they first find investors? How can they get investors online where they're like, hey, I know I can buy, you know, they can go find deals for people at 20 to 30% off where they were a year ago. How can they get those investor clients? What would you recommend? 
Um, the first thing I we do, and, and we just actually pivoted our whole business over the last six months. We've, we're changing it. We, we've done, I would say the past six months of transactions look completely different than what we were doing 18 months ago. Um, and so you, the yeah. first thing you want to do is really narrow what the demand is from that, that, that buyer pool. You know, and if we're working for investors, we want to know where the biggest opportunity is and then educate our client base on where the opportunities are. And our market in Seattle is just like Austin. It is down 25% from peak for sure. Um, especially in those kind of like secondary markets that were right outside the Metro. Those have really came yep. down. And those are the ones that hit the hardest breaks. But then what has came down even further, and, and that's what we had to do, is what has adjusted the most? What has overcorrected the most? And some of the biggest things that fall quickest are, A, dirt, because the demand for building and development goes drops dramatically because they were paying such high pricing for the last 12 to 18 months. And so what we did is we wanted to really focus on where's the opportunities are. Well, we knew that dirt had fallen the hardest. And then we also knew that multifamily was falling pretty rapidly because the cost of money was so expensive and it was going to really limit that buyer pool. And so we doubled down and focused on what we thought was going to be the best inventory and then educated our clients of why they should be buying this because they had the opportunity to now buy dirt or kind of like this high demand product that was for the last 18 months for not just the 20 to 25% drop, they're getting at 40% less. And so we, we, we build our business around where we think the biggest opportunities are. And then we have to educate our client base of why they need to pivot at the same time. And that, that has been the key to really growing our brokerage the, the quickest is we're not just salespeople going out there trying to sell a transaction. We're educating and working with our partner or with our, our investors like we're partners in the deal where we're going, Hey, this is, this is how you can pivot your business and move it around to get that into that transaction. And this is where the opportunity is because as a broker, our clients look to us as advisors on just the analysis, but also what do we think is going on with the market? And if we can come in as an advisor, we can do a lot more transactions rather than just the salesperson. The salesperson services what someone wants, whereas we teach them what they want and then go find it for them. And it really does allow us to get a lot more transactions done. Like we've done more transactions in our development side of infill Seattle in the past four to five months than we did 18 months ago because the, the, the competition, yes, the buyer demands lower, but the competition is so much lower that we can get them really good opportunities. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. There's a lot of superstars out there that use Follow Up Boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. So we use Follow Up Boss. I love Follow Up Boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Brivity, Sync. I've looked at Boomtown like real geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown, I've used LineDesk, I've used Conversion, and I think follow-up boss gives you the most integrations 
that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform, yet at the same time, it's still affordable. I do like follow-up box better just because it you can text from the app and things like that. It's just a little more convenient for me. Um, it tracks everything that I need. I can customize it if I want. If I want to go smart list-based, that's fine. If I want to go task-based, it's fine. I think it's one of the best systems and it's very user-friendly. It just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race follow-up boss. Purely objective, follow-up boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used follow-up boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. Yeah. Yeah. Land is one of the, when the housing market goes up, land jumps up fast and it becomes like these crazy prices. And then when it goes down, it is the quickest thing that gets that discount because, because it's this realization that like land is um, in a, in a hot market. Like when you get land, you're like, you know, 12 months, six months, 12 months, 18 months, you're like 24 months away from like your, your monetization, you know, or longer. And the, and when it's, everything's flying, people are like, yeah, I want in cause I'm trying to lay that out. But right now, most people, it's like when we went from home builders to flippers because sure. we realized we could make the same margin on a flip without doing any of the land development. So now we're holding properties for 60 days total instead of 120. And I think most of the people, you know, I think there's a lot of businesses like that right now. Um, so yeah, we'll see land correcting. Um, we've seen land correcting and I've gotten a lot of emails this week from, from the same deal. So the, so as you're, as you're like representing these, these investors, you're finding the spots, are you finding any trends like um, a trend that we've saw in Southern Oregon recently for some guys that are still able to buy and sell pretty quick out there is that first time home buyer price point, like, and maybe it's just an always an obvious thing, but the low, but the lower price point where you can still get a house built after 2000 um, is still selling pretty quickly. And it's mostly first-time buyers because they don't really know the difference between five percent or six percent as a mortgage. They've they're now getting. I met I met with somebody last week. They're getting qualified right now for the first time. They said, "How much can I get qualified to buy a house for?" They've never looked at prices on Zillow. They've never looked at houses. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that's that's a lot of the market, at least that we're seeing um, here in Austin, that we're seeing in Southern Oregon. You see, have you seen any trends there of the stuff that still is that maybe some of the listeners will want to like look at closer? Yeah, it's, it's, they're chasing the affordability right now. And I think it, it has to do like what you had just talked about is, is where's the demographics that are buying like those first time home buyers, they still, you know, home buying, a lot of people are buying it because they want to block into a payment that works for them. And they just want to own that that real estate. And you know, and they want to get their life moving forward at that point. And so that market's actually been doing fairly well for us as well, because it's, you know, it's, it's affordable. It's still cost per rent is still not that far off. So it, it, even with the higher rates, they're only paying a little bit more than they would versus rent where the markets that we've seen that have stalled out the most, which are that kind of that, that we called it the tech suite spot in Seattle, which is like a, or the Amazon sweet spot where like yeah. a, it, 
based on their median home income, we were selling properties seven to 900,000 and that was like a hot sector. And then the Amazon married, like when two Amazon people get together and get married, then it went from 140 to 150 was the other sweet spot. So those were like our two major sweet spots in, in the market. And then what we've seen is because of the rates going down and the, as the market and the, and the stock market cools down too, is that segment slowed down the most because that buyer pool is also the ones that usually overthink things the most because, you know, mm. they're, they're now lost very a lot of wealth. Man. Yeah, they're very technical. They like to over not overthink. They like to take their time and think through a transaction. And then also they've lost a lot of wealth in the stock market, like 20% drops. And so that, it, so they've lost wealth, their cost of mortgage payments up, and they're worried about a recession coming through because their employers are warning of layoffs. And so it's really frozen that market. And, but what we're seeing the action is in that first time home buyer where, you know, if there, it's under $400,000 in the, the tri-county area, it's going to move very quickly. Or even the discounted real estate is still like, if it's a fixer property that's listed below market, those are still moving very, very quickly. Like if it's below 500,000 as the acquisition. And so it, it seems like with the cost of money being up, everybody's chasing that affordability. And so like when we're advising our clients on whether it's a buy and hold or even a fix and flip, we want to keep them in the, the lower, like the lower median of the rents. Like if you're, if you're in that affordable market, you can kind of protect yourself a little bit more. And that's where a lot more transactions are going on. Cause typically we have about 50 listings at a time and they're on all different sectors. The ones that are below like 650,000 in our market are still moving within like a 10 to 14 day period. And we're getting around list price. The ones that are above around a million, our clients are having to do a lot more concessions, whether it's buying down the rates or, you know, even, you know, 5% off list at this point. And so it, it, I think it just has to do with the affordability because we're also seeing it in the rental market. Just everything's kind of compressing backwards a little bit. Real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui. Thank you for letting me interrupt for a second. I've got something really, really important to talk about. You know how last year we kept talking about that mastermind? What is the mastermind? What are we talking about with that mastermind? Last May, there was like 60 or 70 people of you listeners that had never met, flew out to Austin, Texas. We all hung out at this awesome event center and we spent a couple days with some great guest speakers talking about skills and strategies to succeed in real estate. And then we had these mastermind tables where everyone rotated, everyone got to meet everybody, everyone got to provide value. Some of the agents there had only done one or two deals ever. Some of the agents there had done hundreds of deals and they all got to interact and help each other build their business and build their strategies. And I've heard so many stories of friendships that came from that, of referrals that have come from that. There were six or seven people at that one that heard me talk about doing an Ironman and we all did an Ironman together in, in North Carolina last month and we had never even met before the podcast live so the it was it's, it's been such such a cool experience the i would love it for you guys to come today's march 6 through 8 the sign ups right now go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind we also have a room block set up it's three days downtown austin great really cool hotel really cool uh, convention center that we're going to be hosting it and we're gonna get a chance to i can't wait to meet you guys i can't wait for you to meet other listeners i can't wait for you to develop these new interactions and really what we're teaching yeah last year was like how do you make a business better but the market was just starting to turn and i was trying to give some people some advice of what to do when it when it was happening now it has turned and this time we're gonna be talking so much about how to pivot and what to do next so uh, again i hope you signed up for the mastermind sorry for such the long advertisement but i can't wait to meet you ibendigital.com forward slash mastermind
Yeah. What, what's something that you, now you've been in real estate for a long time, you've seen, I'd say two cycles, maybe three of just kind of like some interesting, like ups and downs that have affected probably Seattle. Um, what's something that you know now that you wish you would have known when you first got started? You know, I think when I first got started, I didn't understand the whole economic impact like in, you know, now as a business owner and a, and a broker, and, and we try to look down the road more and look into not just what's going on in housing, because you can get those blinders on, especially the last two years, the market was so red hot and it was so amazing and buyers were just trying to get into the market. It became this kind of crazy cycle of just like, we just need to find any kind of asset and then someone's going to want this. And yeah. But what we knew is like 12 months, you know, we started shifting our whole business around because at the beginning of the year, the Fed was coming out and saying that, hey, we're going to increase rates. This inflation's out of control. It's not transitory. And so for us as investors, we started cooling down and we actually did less transactions with our clients and slowed everyone down for the first quarter and a half of the year because we knew that this rate increase was coming up. In addition to, we actually started like getting our, our other marketing channels going to kind of start reaching out to sellers because we knew that a little bit more inventory was going to increase. We, we felt like there was a big transition. And so it's about looking down the road a little bit more and not just getting trapped in that crazy hot cycle. Like in 2007, there was indications going on that the, the, the mortgage market was having issues and they were talking about it we did not pay attention to those things. So it was like, it just turned yeah. off on us and we had to scramble. So this last transition, by the time we had got through into the spring with rates already had gone up two points at that point, we had already slowed down our buying and started looking at different types of assets and getting pre-approved, our clients pre-approved with different type of lenders. And it allowed us to continue to get the transactions through. In addition to, we were educating our clients about, hey, this is what's coming up. We need to get on, like, you know, even with our builder clients, we were like, hey, we want to get pre-sales up right away to lock in these rates. And so by doing, like, looking down the road, it kept transactions going through. And so I, I think real estate professionals always need to not just look at real estate, look at all the economic conditions. And then you want to plan out your business for a 12-month cycle, not just based on what you had the last 12 months. Look at what's changing, see what you need to pivot around. And then you can keep the same amount of volume going through. Yeah, I think those extra economic indicators, it's well, it's becoming really important right now. And it is like a, a big shock to the system or like a slap in the face or some, some of the time because it's like we've seen like stock markets going down or in tech and we're seeing like even even recent conversations I've had, you know, major layoffs at Twitter, major layoffs at, at, yeah. at all these places that are near Austin, right? And then people going, well, the housing market's still strong. We're still at a shortage of demand. We're still, we're still undersupplied. And it's like these different kind of, of arguments of saying like, yes, maybe, but, but this neighborhood specifically is going to be, you know, more impacted than this other one because it's really close to Twitter headquarters, right? Or, or, or things like that that come up where there's these extra economic factors that for the longest time we just said, yeah, there's a lot of people would say like, well, what about schools? What about this? We're like, well, no, just look at the comps. Because, but the reality is, is a year ago, you could sell a funky house in a funky neighborhood that wasn't very good, that was only half fixed up and half flipped, and someone would buy it because they wanted in. Mm -hmm. And now it's when your house has to be perfect. And if it is in that wrong school neighborhood, or if it is, it's not just the, the comps anymore. Those extra macroeconomic trends and microeconomic trends are having a bigger impact. Are you still personally investing right now? Yeah, we've actually bought more uh, multifamily properties in the last five months than we did in the last 18 um, because it was just, that's where the opportunity we've seen the most in. 
Um, and then we've been, you know, I think, I mean, we've def, we've done over $50 million in deals in the last like 90 days. And so wow. it, because the opportunities are there and, and for us, it's about looking, it's not just about reading the headlines and going, okay, this, this, this terrible things coming our way. It's going, okay, well, does the math check out today? And, 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 and as long as you're conservative and all your underwriting, if it hits all those boxes, you can be very low risk in a market. And that's what we want to teach our clients. Right. And that's how we, we keep, keep people moving forward with our brokerage business. Because when we were, we started our business, we were teaching people how to flip in 2008, nine and 10, which that was a very declining market, very high risk. And so mm -hmm. we had to have certain assumptions in every deal to protect and mitigate the risk. It was like, okay, if the market continues to slide at 5%, if costs come up a little bit, if your debt costs go a little bit longer because the market times are longer, we had to jam all these assumptions in. And as long as those assumptions are in, you can really mitigate the risk and you're not going to get really clipped when you're going out the door or lose money. And, and so we've just rebuilt in those assumptions, but because we're not freezing, we can still get the transactions done because we're still writing our offers the way that we just need to buy. And in this market, as inventory increases and in, you know, I know a lot of people are saying inventory is still low, which it is, but it is on the trend of increasing. And at some point, we're going to get to that five to six month mark in some of these markets, like our, these heavy tech, where we're going to see a little bit more decline in pricing, not just a pullback, but a decline when the inventory comes up. And based on those things, you're also getting a lot more opportunities. So you, you want to, it's just as a broker, you want to open your eyes and not just get trapped on, hey, no one wants to buy. Now there's actually more things to look at. You just have to dig through and look a little harder with your clients. So the, and I think we're seeing it all over social media, we're seeing all over conversations of, of people are trying to share, their agents are trying to say like, hey, now's a great time to buy. And now's a great time to buy because there's less competition, because you have your choice and the downside is interest rates. Are most of your buyers um, cash or are they also getting loans on things? And like, what, is there anything else you would say to people or is it just simply like, no, you're you're going to make the numbers work when you're making the offer. So it just means like if you don't get a good enough deal to make it work at a 7% interest rate, then you guys just aren't buying it. Are you doing any sort of forecasting? Like how are you con how are you convincing investors that it's a good time or is it as simple as the numbers or cash or what? So what we do like as the market get riskier, we our assumptions and performance, we we actually build in more profit and margin in there. And so what we did is we just increased the margin threshold. So in a hot market, we might have been buying at like a 15% return, which would equate out to about 35 to 40% with leverage in there. Mm -hmm. um, and in this market, we're buying at a 20, which is going to equate out to about a 55 to 60% margin uh, cash on cash return. So it, it just, we, we're giving them more margin in each one of those deals. But as we're talking to our clients, it's about just educating them and you know, for brokers, I think one of the biggest things is you, if, if, if you can tell the client where the opportunity is, they will still buy that property. And then you have to walk through where we do well is we're adapting our own investment plans and, you know, cause we're active investors and brokers. And so as we adapt our plans, we can kind of teach it to our clients going, Hey, this is a safer way to buy at this point. And, and there is the opportunity there and we just have to show it to them 
through mitigation of risk in our performas and then show them why there's that value. So you want to look for the value in the market. And so if I'm looking for dirt that's half now 50% less than what I was paying 12 months ago, that's an opportunity because I know where that pricing could go in the future. And so even for me, I'm not even buying it on a development side. I'm going out and we're, we're, we're having our clients buy those as single family rentals, not for cash flow, but for high appreciation place, because we know that that value was established less than 12 months ago at that point. Yeah. So if you can get a good deal right now, put a loan on, even if you break even, it's more that like five, 10 year plan again, if you can, if you can keep it in there or, or three or whatever, it really is like knowing where the curve is and where it's corrected to. It's like some people are saying, well, I'm going to wait for it to go down another 20%. I'm going to wait for it to go down another 25%. But if you're holding it long enough, then you don't have to really, and that doesn't become the factor. You can say, no, buy this now and buy more when it comes down another 25% and, and you get to keep going. The, you talked about going in marketing to sellers and trying to get like, so six months ago, you're like, hey, the opportunity is going to be here. People are going to sell. Buyers are going to want to come back in as long as sellers can discount. What's your, what's your plan that you could share with people on that? Like, how are you finding prospective sellers right now since it is such a slower, is, is, is it different than two years ago? How, you know, the, the method of marketing that could have been like letters or door knocking or, you know, or sphere of influence. Was it, was it more directed uh, when you went out? So how did you go find sellers six months ago? What's that like? What's that conversation like? What can you teach our listeners? So what we've done uh, for 18 months ago, we were doing a very finite, narrowed list of what we knew were opportunities that we would be looking for, whether it was like a certain type of lot or when we're going direct to sellers. Like if we have a high a client looking for a specific type of lot, we're going to really narrow our target list. And the reason we had narrowed that list so much is the marketing was getting more and more expensive because the response rate was less because everybody was getting lots of marketing. And so they were getting all these calls. So they thought they had, they had something that everybody wanted. So people actually respond less at that point because they, they know it's going up in value. They want to keep it. And so by staying to a targeted list, it allowed us to work very smart and we were able to spend the right amount of marketing dollars for a certain small segment. And it was getting us transactions. But as the market cools down and the demand cools down, what we do is we actually switch it to a much more larger coverage and we offer additional services out. And so we are targeting probably 20 times more people today than we were six months ago. And we did that by, by doing more, you know, I call them like coverage marketing things. So we're using uh, call rooms and, and talking to people on a, a much bigger scale. Whereas 18 months ago, we we're using direct mail and we were making very direct calls for inside our office because our target list was so much smaller. So because when anytime you go into a recession, one thing I learned in 2008 is you don't know, you know, we're not calling more people because we think the market's going to crash, but we know we're in a transitionary market where people moved all around. They also bought homes that they maybe didn't really want, but they just wanted to get into the market. And so you don't know what the, people's situations changes a lot when any kind of recession is coming. So we want to talk to more people because it might not show up on some sort of data list at all. It's just, you know, that maybe they, they moved into a neighborhood, they, they don't like where their kids are going to school, they know the market's kind of declining fairly quickly, and they want to just make this transition now before they get trapped in that house. And so by us increasing our marketing coverage, it's actually increased our, we, we're now spending twice what we were spending on marketing 18 months ago for direct-to-sellers, but it's getting us five times the response because people get that FOMO of like, we want to move now before it's too late. And so uh, we've been getting a lot more different types of leads. And then now what we're doing is we're 
we're breaking out our business to we're going, okay, we have five times more leads. We're building our business plans around what kind of lead flow that we're getting. We're not just focusing just on investor acquisitions because if we have a bunch of direct sellers that say they're interested in selling, we're actually offering a lot more listing services down the road too. So we use a, we use a call room called Easy Button Leads and it, it allows us to get our lead cost down below $30 per appointment, which is, you know, in direct mail, it was costing us around two to $3,000 per deal. And so we're using more coverage at an affordable rate that maybe isn't quite the same quality, but it's giving us a ton more opportunity. And then as a brokerage, we're adapting all of our sales services based on the lead flow that we're getting in. What company do you say you're using for that? It's called Easy Button Leads. So it's just a professional dialing and phone company that that that, tar- that their specialty for real estate brokers. So, so you say, hey, we want to. This is our neighborhood that we're going after. It's just they're just doing a bunch of mass dialing, and the and then they through that they go, hey, this person is curious about selling. You have any idea what their what their best script is right now? What their best pitch is right now when when people answer? So we actually write our own script. I prefer to write our own scripts when we're using a third-party service um, just because we like to – we're testing the analytics. And as we go to the appointment – because when you get to the appointment, you can really figure out whether your marketing is working or, or not because a lot of people yeah. will let you in the door. But then maybe it was a waste of your time too because it was just like the wrong the, – the person on the phone told them the wrong thing. You know, or not the wrong thing, but, you know, it was it was not a more direct conversation in – as salespeople, we always, or as brokers in salespeople, we, we train our staff that you, time is money. And so you don't want to waste it on a bad lead as well. And so we like to prepare the scripts because I also don't want, we're, we're a brokerage that likes to under promise over deliver. And so if you have someone over promising on the phone that you don't know what they're saying just to get you that appointment, it, it can cause issues down the road for us as a brand and when you get in that appointment. And so we want to convert higher. And so I write all my own scripts and based on, and then we, ad, we adjust our scripts based on when we go to these appointments, what feedback we're getting, what objections we're getting, whether it was a waste of time. And then we go, okay, we need to actually put this in here for clarification, but I'm a firm believer, so the- write your own scripts. So write your own script. It's going to be different in every neighborhood. But you talked about like getting people off the fence so they can like they have FOMO. They're like, I need to sell now before I'm too, before it's too late. Are you putting anything like that in your scripts? Um, we're, we're, we, I try to stay away from fear-based, like, hey, the market could be crashing. But it, w- what we are in a lot of our scripts is the time is now to, to sell. If you want to maximize, if you are thinking about it, we, we make it more of a positive thing. If you want to maximize your housing, investment or or to transition and trade up the time is now and and so it's that's we're using it more as a motivating factor that if you were thinking about selling you just made a ton of money on an appreciation even with the market pulling back you know like in austin seattle we're down like 25 percent since march and but we're still above water like it's still you're still as long as someone bought more than 12 months ago you're it's still like they still have equity they still have a gain yeah yeah, like the median home prices are still up a little bit. So if they bought two years ago, they still have that huge equity. And so we are trying to educate people. If you're thinking about selling, you need to do it now. And if not, just plan on being here for two to five years because you don't, it, it could be like a co- continued pullback and then there might not be a lot of equity growth. And if there's not a lot of equity growth, it's harder to sell your home, even if you have a very affordable payment. And so if they made all this money, it is time to move it into something else or even, uh, you know, or, 
some people are thinking about moving into another city again. You know, a lot of people went out in the market. You know, like I know you said you're from Oregon and, you know, they went from Portland to Bend. But now as the cities are opening up, they're going kind of transitioning back to get in there. And so it's I think because there's so much stuff in the media about the market slowing down, you want to tell people the time is to maximize your investment is to sell it now or or bank it for a two to five year plan. Yeah. So that you talked about right now, there's a lot of agents and brokers kind of reaching out to you and they're confused. They're like stressed. They don't really, it's like just, they're trying to make some, like anybody got licensed in the last five years, right? Like really trying to make sense of like, what do we do now? What are those conversations like when people are reaching out to you? What are, what, what advice or help are you giving people when brokers are saying, Hey, maybe I want to move over to your brokerage because I need the magic wand and it's not working right now. Yeah. It's a good time for brokers to look at what they've been doing. You know, I always tell brokers to look back, you know, 12, 24 and 36 months in your business. Uh, for me this year, towards the end of the mar- this, this year, I was kind of anticipating that our volume was going to fall to like 2019 volume because it was still a healthy volume. There, but we got this massive increase because the, it wasn't just the amount of transactions we we're doing. It was also because the market just went up 25, 30% during that time. So your volume is going to naturally go up. And so when brokers have been reaching out because I feel like it got a little bit easy for brokers. It was hard because you had to go find your client a house. But if you had a listing mm-hmm. or you had anybody looking to buy, there was such a sense of urgency that that transaction would eventually go through. And because the the sales volumes were also up dramatically, people were just organically making more money at that point. And when you start making money as a salesperson, you can sometimes step off the gas because you just get comfortable. And, mm-hmm. and you really it becomes a lot easier and you stop looking at what internal business of what your, what is your specialty? What are you good at? And that's what you want to market around. I'm a firm believer that the two minute you want to focus on what you're best at, because that's going to, you know, for us as, as brokers, the surface investors, that is what we are best at. I'm not the best broker that's going to go show a buyer a hundred homes. That's, that's not really my business model. But we, what we are, if, if we can give the best possible service when it's a very competitive market to get buyer clients or that client that you're working with, you have to, uh, people are going to go with either the biggest discount, which we're not a discount shop, or they're going to go with the best possible service. And so for us, what we want to do is what is going on with the market now? We want to build the best possible customer service for our clients. And it's going to bring in that, that client experience and get more transactions done. And so a lot of times we're not focused on the market. We're focused on that client experience. And if we can increase that, we, we, a, we have to narrow down who is our target audience for what's going on right now. You know, like if it's, you know, if, if I'm a first time home buyer broker, I'm going to actually be talking to some more investment minded first time home buyers because it is a good time for them to get in. They can buy it 25% less than what they were to having to pay for it. The investors can understand that. They can also get access to cheap finance or not cheap, a little bit cheaper financing, a lower down payment at that point, which in, in a time as the market's deflating down, liquidity can also dry up. And so people that have more gunpowder can get more borrowing. You can get more transactions that way. In addition to their whole concept between that 
is like a house hacking program where they can subsidize their mortgage cost. And a lot of times, no matter what's going on with the rates, you still can pay less than your rental rate. And so there's a benefit there. So focus on what you're what you're, you're really good at and then who inside what you're good at, there's going to be three different segments of buyers in there or, or even more focus on the ones that are going to be the, the ones that they have the reason to buy and then build the service around that, that, that brokerage. But as people are calling me, it's all about pivoting their business. The things I always ask them is what, what changes have you made over the last five months? And if they don't have yeah. a lot of changes, they're, they're, they're just falling behind. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's not like knowing what to change. It's starting to change something. Yes, because a lot of a lot of the businesses and stuff shifts. Is it's like the pivot. The pivot that works for me might not be the same pivot that works for you versus somebody else. But if it's not working, it, what they say is like if it's not broken, don't fix it. So when things are awesome, like don't add a new whatever. Like don't pivot. Don't change for extra growth. Like if it's not if it's not broken, don't fix it. But right now, for a lot of systems, if, if if revenue and growth is way down, then something is broken. So now you got to fix it. So start to make a change. I love that as the first question. They're like, "What have you changed in the last six months?" They're like, "Well, nothing." You're like, "Well, go change something. Go change something. See what starts to adjust." The so James, the this has been an awesome interview. You're also um you you also co-host or or you're on some of the Bigger Pockets podcasts. Which which podcast are you on? If some of our listeners want to go find you over there. Yeah, we're uh, I'm uh, one of the co-hosts on the Bigger Pockets on the Market podcast, which is a, it's a it's a really cool panel of unique different types of investors and so we we go over topics and you get different perspectives. So there's Jamil Janji who's a big wholesaler, Kathy Feck, he's a big syndicator, Henry Washington who's just like a roamer investor guy, but always buying. He's a great guy and then there's there's us that run kind of a a multifaceted investment business in, in Seattle, Washington. And then it's hosted by Dave Meyer who I don't know if you know Dave, but he's like the ultimate data. He yeah. just, how he interprets data is so calm and so easy to digest. I just think everybody loves him. But it, it's an awesome podcast. I, I'm really uh, glad I, I'm on it. We, we just had our first full year, and it's it's been doing really well. That's awesome, man. And then how about social media? If somebody wants to come find you on there, ask you questions about what you're doing, or get some advice. Uh, so uh, one of the best ways to find us is on uh, probably Instagram at jdaneflips, or you can go to jamesdaner.com, uh, and we and we just we, we we post a lot of investment tips, different underwriting tips, and and we really try to go out of our way to really make it tangible learning things on on, on our social media. Yeah. Well, James, this was awesome. It was awesome getting to know you. Get to hear a little bit about your story. Thank you for coming on the Real Estate Rockstars podcast today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, and Real Estate Rockstars. Thanks for listening. All right, real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully, you guys loved listening to that one, and I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have, and also, we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free, but what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents, and we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, We've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. 
every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate. How to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.